Ezio, you are a Catholic. Be sure that you are confessed and in a state of grace each hour. For from this moment, I promise you, death is at your shoulder. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. They're frequently dumb, but they're sometimes astute. They're always emphatic on a degree absolute. They're breaking the prisoner right down to the root. That whole TV show on a degree absolute. If you like lava lamps and weather balloons, and whack ass inflections from Patrick McGoon, Chris and Glenn made a podcast especially for you. It's a degree absolute. Glenn. Chris. This podcast extends life. This podcast expands consciousness. Okay. Uh, We are grounding this in the time. We are grounding this in the time of which this podcast will be released. Let's ground it in uh, several simultaneous time streams because I really couldn't find anything suitable from Mary, Queen of Scots, the the subject of our investigation Mm -hmm, today. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you and I have just seen so many movies the last time we we did one of these. Yeah, we have. Also, uh, as I, I may have told you before, the flax, when you respond to a critic's invitation now, they want to know where and when your review will be appearing. Yes, they do. And since uh, I, there, there is only one venue for which I have a signing power, uh, <laughs> I want to welcome power. you and <laughs> all of our listeners to a new feature called Current Release Corner. Okay, all right. <laughs> where I, I love We discuss segments. movies in We, ha- we have a dearth of segments, uh, and I, 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 we love, do. I love having an extra segment. So uh, go ahead. So Current Release yeah, Corner, well, hit me. Hit me one more time. As I was saying, Glenn, as I was saying, like every living enterprise, this podcast supports a menagerie of vermin and scavengers. Okay, there you go. Yep, yep, yep. It is perhaps the most interesting contemplation of peripheral vision that I've ever seen. Okay, all right. Good. Keep going. I'm just reading from my own review of 10 reinforced concrete aggregate load-bearing murals right now. (laughs) (laughs) This is uh, the French Dispatch, Something, something caloric deficit, yes. I'm naked, Mrs. Cremens. I can see that. Why are you crying? Tear gas. Also, I suppose I'm sad. Please turn away. I feel shy about my new muscles. Patrick McGowan was not involved, but I invite you all to think about how Patty McGee, had he lived, where, where he would have fit right into the Wes Anderson oeuvre. Can you imagine him sliding into the, the Wes Anderson players, Glenn? I'm trying to, but with very few exceptions, there is an affectless demeanor to, uh, to his players, and uh, that is not his thing. It is in this particular film. But um, that we're about to talk about. But like normally, and, and I'm just saying, in the prisoner, like he is, he he modulates in a big old way. And yeah, yeah there's, I don't know how he would do um, w- with having to be as deadpan and as laconic as uh, Anderson asks his actors to be. I feel like he would have been a oneer 
mm-hmm. in an Anderson movie, yeah. a la Gene Hackman, who famously fought Anderson on everything mm-hmm. on the set of sure. Royal Tenenbaums. And unlike most other actors, I guess Danny Glover didn't come back for another one. And Bruce Willis. <laughs> the sure. Simpler, you, you, don't, simpler, you, don't, you don't equate Bruce Willis with Wes Anderson in one's head. No, but he did give a fine, fine performance in uh, Moonrise Kingdom. Sure, no given. And then did not, uh, yeah. So in this new one, in The French Dispatch, you do get to see, uh, along with some new additions like Lea Seydoux and Benicio Del Toro. Um, Timothy Chalamet and, and the great, Chalamet. the good Jeffrey Wright. Jeffrey Wright makes it. It is a wonderful it showcase for, for Jeffrey home. Wright. Jeffrey Wright as... Um, Ro- Roebuck Wright. Yes, Isn't Roebuck a, Wright the name of his character? Sure, but it's a James Baldwin pastiche. Of course. Right. Yes, yes, yes. And I only just now occurred to me that his character name and his real name are the same. Mm-hmm. Jeffrey Wright as Roebuck Wright. Mm-hmm. The food writer for The French Dispatch. Mm-hmm. The star narrator of the third of this anthology's three stories, which I believe is called the the police commissioner's dining room or the police commissioner's secret dining room or something like that. Something they all have these wonderful lines. titles. Yep. And it's all about police cooking. <laughs> police cooking. My review of this film just went live on NPR as we speak. And it is much more uh, positive than it was when I was than when I came out of the film. Because mm-hmm. the thing about uh, Anderson for me is that you have, you're just grinning ear to ear while you watch these films. Because they're such a pleasure, a visual pleasure. But they don't necessarily stick with you. Because sometimes there's not a lot of emotional connection. And I think... Even I, who have a black and tiny heart, like Jeffrey Wright's character, his melancholy, his sadness is what linked me to this film, is what made this film kind of linger in the memory to me. And this is one of why it's one of my favorite Anderson films. Yeah. Maybe with luck, we'll find what eluded us in the places we once called home, Glenn. See, also that. Also these, these things. Also in something, something caloric deficit. I love this movie. I did, um, yeah, so we saw this uh, together. We saw it in front of the new Edgar Wright movie, Last Night in Soho, which I think we're going to be more split on, we, uh, unless your I... opinion of that has changed. No, I, I fucking hated it, so that's a Okay. Thing. And you were you were a little uh, cooler on Dune than I was. As you explained at length in your, your review, you, you had uh, faithfully read the novel at an impressionable age, and uh, so you, you had some expectations, whereas I was just going into the new Denis Villeneuve movie. and <laughs> You called it the new Denis Villeneuve as opposed to the, the Dune. The new Denis Villeneuve. Yeah, yeah I mean, nude. you know, um, he made four movies in a row that I loved, and uh, sure. now he's made five. Yep. I don't believe you're the Lison Al-Gahib. But I want you to die with honor. I just felt I know, I, I think I will love it more knowing where it ends because that's the question that anybody who knows the story beats of this film are just like, how can this possibly, you're just, oh, we're just, he hasn't even met Chani yet. We're two hours in. This Chris knife was given to me by my great aunt. It's made from a tooth of Shai Halud, the great sandworm. This will be a great honor for you to die holding it. But Chana is the, and I'm thinking about this now because uh, here, here are my current credentials. I have seen Denis Villeneuve Dune twice. Okay. I have watched the first 65% of the David Lynch <laughs> Dune oh my God, now. so good. The tooth. There the are tooth. so many gross things to look at. The uh, Harkonnen getting his, his facial visual oh, fissures, blisters. Oh, that's so oh, disgusting. Chris, the, the gay panic of that is so pure. And then the, there's the brains. There's the... 
The guild navigators. Oh my god. The human computers with the the sure, um, sure, sure. guys with their red lips and their overgrown eyebrows. It's just hard to look at those guys. One of them is Brad Dorif. I I can't remember who the other one is. And Dorif actually has that mantra that he's reciting as he pilots the spaceship. But sure, like sure, the, sure. Red, the yep. red lips become a warning, and the by pure will, I something something. Yep, it's all there. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to finish it. And it is a fascinating exercise. The original to look cut at two... of David Lynch's film, by the way, was four hours long. And that seems like crazy until you realize that the film we just watched was almost three hours. The Arrow video issue of it that just came out like last month that I got, it does only include the theatrical cut. Uh, as they, they take pains to explain in a note in the little booklet, they attempted to license the longer cuts that were shown on television over the years and just, just could not get them. Mm-hmm. Um but this one, the theatrical cut, is still officially credited to David Lynch, and apparently the oh. at least one of the longer cuts is an Alan Smithy. Oh yeah, the film. official one that came out was the Alan Smithy version. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. okay, I think so. Well, mine starts with the the words "a David Lynch film" okay. before we even see Virginia Madsen's or Tangerine face. Dream. <laughs> Uh, the voiceover in the the Lynch one does not do what voiceover is supposed to do, provide a little bit of connective tissue between scenes. The voiceover actually... What is it doing to me? Yep, 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 yep. It supplies all the subtext, Glenn. It leaves the actors nothing to do. Like, because they'll say a line, and then you'll hear them read a line. He's more concerned over his men than the spice. I must admit, against all better judgment... I like this Duke. And you're getting that from everyone in the movie, so it's not like there's one narrator or even competing narrators the way you get like in in election. Get out of my mind. I love this film. Uh, You can't, you can't, you can't make me not love it. It's and we're going to do show. an episode on it. It is as different from Villeneuve's Dune as Adam West Batman is from Christopher Nolan. No, that's a that's a great um, that's a great comparison. That's exactly what's going on there, which is why I love it so much. I did spot. Lynch in his cameo as the mm-hmm, spice mm-hmm. Uh, spice tractor driver. Yeah, yeah. Nope, nope. Can't can't get out of here. Oh got my gosh! The, the, no, yeah. there's a worm coming. <laughs> oh gosh! Oh holy caps! The Lynch one almost seems like the the parody that was made after the Denis Villeneuve Dune I became mean, this huge phenomenon. This <laughs> it had to be. It's uh, all right. And what else do we need to talk about? I I had. Uh, <laughs> legitimate outlets to talk about No Time to Die, Glenn, so, so mm-hmm. we don't necessarily I think, we're, I, think to, I think we've covered that. I, I don't know that we need to hack into Blofeld's Bionic Eye on this podcast, mm-hmm. but we could hack into Blofeld's Bionic Eye. I, 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 if you... I have no thoughts. I have no <laughs> preconceived or even off-the-dome thoughts. Yeah, on, on our Pop Culture Happy Hour episode, you, you were so busy moderating that you didn't really express an opinion. You just said, I like this movie fine, and then... Uh, yeah, because that's, that's yeah, what I'm uh, supposed to do. Okay. <laughs> it was yeah, fine. Yeah. It was fine. Well, why are we talking about Dune, Again, 2021, these, these and 1984? Why are we talking about The French Dispatch? Why are we talking about No Time to Die? Mm-hmm. There is an answer that will reveal all. That answer is that in 1966, Patrick McGowan starred the long-running TV spy series Danger Man, resigned to the height of that show's popularity to create a new series about a spy who resigns from government service and wakes up in a mysterious, inescapable village where many, most, not all, residents are referred to only by a number. Surreal and provocative, silly and pretentious, ahead of its time, and innately and unambiguously and lava lampedly of its time, that short-lived, long-tailed series was called The Prisoner. Yeah, bitch. Glenn? Chris? In 1971, Hal B. Wallace, who decades earlier had produced The Adventures of Robin Hood, and Casablanca, who would be honored with the Motion Picture Academy's Irving B. Thalberg Award. Yes. What? 
very early in his career. I was going to uh, say. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about legit OG 1941 or 42 Casablanca, okay. not the not the remake with uh, Charles Bronson or whoever it was in the <laughs> 70s. Um, produced as his penultimate film, a 16th century Game of Thrones, if you will. A costume drama featuring, among others, a young Timothy Dalton, an old Trevor Howard, a wonderfully supercilious Patty McGee as James Stewart, an imperious five-headed Glenda Jackson, leader of the Jackson Five-Head, as Queen Elizabeth I, and an Oscar-winning Vanessa Redgrave, the notorious BRG. nominated. She didn't win, did she? Pause for editing, as Conan O'Brien would say. Pause for editing. And at the very least, Oscar-nominated Vanessa Redgrave, the notorious VRG, mm-hmm. as the titular Mary Koyaanisqatsi. <laughs> Sorry, I meant Mary, Quantum of Solace. Okay. Glenn, yep. I meant to say Mary, Queen of Scots. Sports. Mary, Mary, why you bugging? Mary, Mary, I need your hugging. Uh, yay. Uh, uh, R. Uh, what, is, what, what, what is it my people say? I can't remember. It's yay. It's R. It's, what, what do we say? I don't remember what we say. I. 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 Yes. So are you a Scotsman? Some, are you part of a Scotsman? There's 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 a, okay. All right. Well. It's more Welsh than Scots, but you know. Good. That's, uh, I, I'm glad to know this because we are very nearly done welcoming listeners to the private personal by hand tangent tolerant and properly punctuated punch card driven podcast where we take this unclassifiable and unforgettable television series. That's the, the prisoner I referred to it several moments ago yeah. and related documents. And uh, what do we do, Glenn? Well, we push it like it's one of 57 daggers driven into David Riccio in the audience chamber off the supper room of Holyrood Palace in 1566. You bastard. I've got to give you a six. All right, then. For relevance, for aptness, uh, yeah, it's a solid, solid six. Uh, we index it like Mary's proclamation of abdication somewhere probably deep in the bowels of the British Museum, one would assume, probably, probably, very likely. Mm. Did you check this? I didn't, but, I mean, it stands to reason. Well, I don't know what they teach you about journalism over at National Public Radio, Glenn, but uh, the way I learned it. You got to check. I appreciate that. That's a three. Three. Uh, We stamp it like it's a letter from Elizabeth to Mary, delivered by messenger and affixed with a royal seal saying, Step off, bitch. Don't come through my realm. (laughs) Uh, You're paraphrasing. So so I'm going to give that one a four as well. We brief it like it's the Spanish breaches men of this era war, which are tremendously unflattering, basically like cloth beach balls around your hips. Oh, yeah, for sure. Which keeps the junk airy. Don't get me wrong. That's good. But it's just flapping in the wind there. I mean, does it? You're talking about the... The giant, like, cloth pleated... Whatever the fuck they are, it doesn't make right. any sense. There was always a mm. codpiece involved, in, uh, which makes right. sense to me because otherwise that doesn't make any sense at all. But like you're just you're just flapping in the wind there. Like does codpiece is... does that contradict brief or does that support? Brief? Um, I think it probably literally supports it. Okay, literally and figuratively. Mm. All right, stick with my four. Okay. We debrief it like Ian Holm and Timothy Dalton getting their degenerate mincing on in this movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's not even the part where, oh, what's uh, what's what's Dalton's character? What historical figure it's is like he it's, playing? There's, the... 
the thing I don't like about this is it's like a Russian novel. Everybody has like 16 different names because they're the yeah. Lord of Blank and then the blah, blah, blah. And then their name is Henry, right. blah. It's, it's a whole thing. It's not when they're having their private tender exchange. It's very much in, in public when the Dalton character orders Davy, Ian Holm, to kneel in front of him. Yeah, and to be serviced. And to service to uh, kneel before Bond, Glenn. Mm-hmm. Kneel before kneel Bond. Before Bond. Okay. All right. Okay. We number it. I don't get a numerical grade for that one. Okay. Uh, I don't. You, you're grade the person who's supposed to be signing these grades, right. dude. I know. I know. We number it like it's the son of Mary and King Henry, or is it Harry? Is it, who is he? I can't remember if it's Henry or Harry. Um, I mean, isn't isn't Harry the informal yeah. Henry? Okay, sure. Or Hal? Yeah. Uh, no. Who is both James the Sixth of Scotland and later James of Britain and James the First of Britain and Scotland, which means he's both number six. And number one. All right, I'll give you give you a six for that one. I mean, of course you could. Why? How could yeah. you? A uh, fucking not right, but yes. I mean, just 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 wait a minute here. When you say that Patrick McGowan is playing James Stewart, I just okay. I, I I I just oh I, I don't God. know what's going on there. Just just oh. wait one second. I'll just r- I'll lasso the moon for you. That's what I'll do. <laughs> Um, yeah, Golly. that's 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 uh, a solid Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> but there's lots of James Stewart. It's more like the 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 race car driver Jimmy Stewart. There's a race car driver. Yeah, I'm learning. So there, we're talking about Mary Queen of Scots came out in 1971. Yeah, yes. yeah hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I just need to tell people before okay. you get into your your uh, thorough, well researched, deeply sourced presentation that our inquiry into this unclassifiable. Oh, <laughs> And uh, Unforgettable series, uh, again, still The Prisoner. We referred to it long ago. Mm. <laughs> or inquiry into it. Um, it's not of a degree folksy, nope. despite the occasional drop-in by, by Jimmy Stewart. It's not <laughs> of a degree unrefined. I guess not. Fuck no. Not of a degree homespun. Uh, heck no. Uh, what is it, Glenn? It's of a degree absolute. Yes. Stories of human interest set in faraway Cartiers. Cartiers. Yeah, I swear that's the line. I've seen the French Dispatch twice, and I cannot find a definition of Cartier's that really works okay. in context there. But right. I swear that's right. that's. I don't know, Glenn. Are you going to question me? I am a disciple of the French Splatter School uh, Action Group. Okay. So uh, these, these, how dare you? These are all good. These are all good. These are all solid <laughs> things. I've only seen the film <laughs> once, so I can. I don't have dialogue to hang off it. No, I know what that is, Glenn. That's a weakness in cartography. Okay. The curse of the homosexual. Hey. Okay, okay, okay. I mean, that's he's not wrong. So, Mary Queen of Scots, uh, 1971, five Academy Award nominations, including Best Actress for Red Grave. Uh, what I love about this, Chris, is they used real locations like Hermitage. Real castles. Real so castles many real because castles. Because they litter the in, ground of Britain like just. In different countries. Yes. I mean, yes. there were a lot of passports stamped, presumably, sure. in the production of this film. It starts with Vanessa Redgrave and Glenda Jackson, mm-hmm. uh, Patty McGee. Gets third billing. Third billing, although he shouldn't. Timothy Dalton mm-hmm. should get third billing just in terms of amount of effort put into one's performance. I mean, I would argue on those grounds that uh, Dalton should be name above title. Um, sure. He's... Now Glenda, Glenda and uh, Vanessa, they do share a title card in this. Right, uh, but Redgrave gets the left and Glenda Jackson oh, gets right, the right, yes. even though she shouldn't because Redgrave indeed, comes indeed. before Jay and, and the thing. Yeah. So it's clearly... Although she's given uh, more to do. She's got more of an arc, does Vanessa. Yeah. Uh, uh, other billing note, Trevor Howard. Gets the box. 
gets the box. Gets the like box. Alexis Kanner, like young Paul Atreides, he gets the box. <laughs> and no gum jabbar uh, to be seen. <laughs> Original screenplay by John Hale, who mostly did British TV, though he did do, uh, two years before, Anne of a Thousand Days, which is the story of Henry VIII and Catherine of Aragon. I always want to say uh, Aragorn, because yep, I yep, am yep. me, after all. Which is Richard mm-hmm. Burton and Jean-Vive Bujol, also produced by Hal Wallace. Uh, also, I think, directed by Charles Jarreau, who did several costume travels with him. Pauline Kael um, has said of him that uh, Charles Jarreau has no style or personality and was merely a traffic manager as a director, which I kind of love, although fucking yeah. mean. It is. I don't think it's quite as mean as calling a director a traffic cop. There is someone in, in the uh, oral history of the Bond franchise that I reviewed for the Post right before the pandemic. There, there was someone talking about John Glenn. The Bond movies, back before they would actually hire famous directors, they used to just promote from within, mm-hmm. and you would climb the ladder over the course of your career. And this dude, John Glenn, who was first an editor and like a second unit director, and then he ended up directing all five of the Bond movies made during the 80s with no discernible style <laughs> or elan, just, uh, you know, competence. So, yep. uh, yeah, so, someone called them a traffic cop, and they're not wrong. Yeah, they're not wrong. We open on Mary, uh, played by um, Vanessa Redgrave, frolicking in a French in the, in the garden of a French chateau with a dude with pantaloons, who is clearly the mm-hmm. king of France. Uh, it was either briefed or, or unbriefed. Unbriefed. One on the those. soundtrack, we hear Debriefed. a French song, which is sung, actually sung by the Vanessa Redgrave, which is actually the song itself was written by Mary, Queen of Scots. It is a French song. The breeches we're talking about are these puffy, like jiffy pop breeches. Um, which yeah. is where you wear around your suit area. Tremendously unflattering things, make you no. look very hippie. Um, mm. And then we go inside, where the actors in the French court are speaking English with a French accent, because uh, that is the thing we yep. do. Uh, the French <laughs> king says, we would be stupid to do that. Uh, and then we get an expo dump in this kind of faux français. And I, I think I like this because it's equal time, right? Because... You know, it's always like American actors being faux British or yep. uh, uh, American actors being faux German. It's the, it's what we do. Or British actors being real, real American. Real, real are with, oh, I have a certain yeah. set of skills. Um, <laughs> and they say, uh, you are queen of Scotland by birth, queen of France by marriage, and queen of England by right, which is a, this is the first act of a Shakespeare play, right? Where there's mm-hmm. nothing but exposition. This is nothing yep. but here we are. This is what you have to know. Here's yep. the things. Like I, That's why we were talking about Lynch's Dune before. That's exactly uh, why we were talking about Lynch's <laughs> they Dune. Just, it's just like, tell me a story. Tell No, tell me tell me a story. There is a, yeah. But there's an efficiency here, right? This is what I admire about mm-hmm. that. We learn in this opening scene that Elizabeth is the daughter of Aunt... Like, I don't know anything about this shit. I, I don't. And uh, I, this is what I always fear going into any of these costume dramas. I don't know anything of this. The reason that Elizabeth is considered a bastard is because she's the daughter of Anne Boleyn, who was the consort to the king. And right now, in a 
uh, palanquin on the river, uh, Lord Robert, who is her horse master, (laughs) is uh, canoodling with Elizabeth I. Yeah. I I wanted to know if there was any historical basis to this, and I made no effort to find out, but I I, I always thought Elizabeth was celibate. Yeah, uh, I mean, this is her whole thing. She's she's the Virgin Queen, she's way into the Nigel Davenport, the the horse master. Nope, nope, it's all marketing. She's barren, but she was not virgin. See, this is the, she Ah, could present herself as virgin, even though she was barren. Um, So Robert's wife, and this is all, I think, largely true. The main thing that people of the time objected to is this idea that they, the two queens met. Which they never did in real life. Right. Um, right. They, they, there also, was never... in the uh, Frederick Schiller play, same thing. He has the meat. Right. Uh, also, because you you need the heat moment, right? You need yeah. you need <laughs> you need. Pacino I have this dream and De Niro to meet. I'm looking you at all it. these bodies sitting yeah. at the table. They all got eight ball hemorrhages from all the gonna, all the crews I ever worked. Just settle in and, and let you do that for the next what fifteen <laughs> minutes, or are we good? Can you? Now we've been face to face. What good. if I got to put you down? All right, here we go. <laughs> no, I'm done. Okay, good to know. Robert's wife. So Robert <laughs> is uh, her horse master. <laughs> uh, his wife dies suspiciously. The French ambassador says it's an opportunity to get Mary Stuart, Mary Stuart, on the throne because Elizabeth <laughs> is no longer is 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 implicated in the scandal. So Mary, here's what we need to know. Here's the lines that are drawn. Mary is Catholic. Mary Vanessa Redgrave's character mm-hmm. is Catholic. Uh, her mother rules as regent in Scotland. And she is, according to the people in England, she's forcing the Catholic faith down Scottish throats, which, fine, it's strange, yep. strange the visual. Yep. But Elizabeth mm-hmm. advisors warn her that Scotland is the back door to England. Again, lots going on here. Yep. Layers and layers mm-hmm. of things going on mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, we'll get to talk about that much more in, in Braveheart with yeah, uh, I don't, Alexander Petrie. Forward to this. Um, is if Elizabeth is seen to condone the murder of Robert's wife, then the northern lords along Scotland's border are going to rebel. And this is what I like about this, Chris, is that this is setting up that there's some volatility in the situation in Scotland, and that will come back. Um, so she says, Okay, you will take my lover to trial, and it'll be all done, all in the up and up. Um, but back in France, King Francois, which seems a little on the nose that the King of France yeah. is called Francois, right? It's like the King of England. Yeah. He called England. He's, he's not even the one who said, I am the state. He's not. That was, that he's was totally one of the not. Louis, right? Uh, he decides what he's going to do to outrun his fevers <laughs> is to go on a horse and outrun the pain in his head. That is contraindicated by any reliable, like, plague doctor with those giant yeah. long. <laughs> The beaks. The beaks with the beaks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so she, uh, uh, Mary, she sits there in a throne waiting for him to come back from the sea like she's a, on a widow's walk. And the Scottish lord, who I think is Lord Boswell, um, Bothwell, uh, visits Bothwell, her. Bothwell, that's it. Yep. That's it. Yeah, Boswell was my old boss, Ricky Jay's dog. His Burmese oh. mountain dog was, was Boswell. Boswell was also the chronicler of... Well, no, the life of Boswell was like a thing. Anyway, uh, uh, I'm sure RJ named that Burmy after after someone specific. Sure, I'm positive, but yes, Bothwell is the character. Bothwell, he visits her. He tells her that her mother is dead, and her brother, actually her half brother, this becomes important later, is now rules Scotland as regent. Uh, he tells her that she is needed in Scotland. 
Uh, and then Francois, as we all knew he would, turns up dead just because he ran into a tree like Sonny Bono. What's going on there? <laughs> uh, Francois's mother, who is a Medici, a de Medici, actually, uh, says it's time for her to rule uh, herself. Yeah. Did you clock her, Glenn? Did you clock the, the Medici? I who didn't. Were... I recognize the face. Well, who is she oh, from? Oh, you sure did. That's uh, Catherine Kath. From A, B, and C. Are you fucking kidding me? Nope, it's her. It's her. Which one is she in A, B, and C? She's um, a Madame, what's her name, who hosts the party. It will end in tears. No. Yeah, How that's dare her. You? That's no. Catherine Kath. Madame. That's her. You said on our A, B, and C episode, had they not hired an actual French woman to play that part, it would be a hate crime. <laughs> her caricatured uh, Frenchiness. A, cre- a creepy party. What was it called? Dreamy. 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 This is a dreamy party. Oh, All the best parties do. Oh, he's dead. It's dreamy. This is a dreamy party. Madame Angadine. That's her. Yeah, that's, that's her. That's her. She's right here in Mary Quantum of Solace, Glenn. How did you not make that connection? Couldn't tell you. So Madame Angadine is uh, de Medici, and she is like, nope, you're leaving. Fuck off, bitch, because I am. Go- this is my family, and you are off. And here's the thing. Uh, Redgrave, I think, goes through a real arc in this movie. Um, she is so kind of callow and um, naive in the first part. And there are moments where we get moments where she becomes, she kind of comes into her own. Which is why the film is mm-hmm. called Mary Queen of Scots and not Elizabeth the First, right. bitch. No, it's it's like Pacino in in The Godfather, yes, where you see him exactly. go from an innocent, decent, somewhat naive guy into a cold, cruel, calculating crime boss right. over the course of the film. So, talk to me about this because this is finally when James Stewart turns up, played by the one and only Patrick McGowan. Mm. Yes, the Scottish accent he's doing, and again, he's Irish, uh, allows him to go into I mean, my favorite Patrick Irish McGowan mode. by way of New York and, yeah. He goes England. clipped, oh. clipped. Um, you shall know, B, this is my thing. Uh, he never goes full She board. will rule in name, I will rule in fact. I will rule in fact. He never goes big here. Like he, again, again and again, we see this with Padamichi. He is presenting here as a straight-backed, kind of less is more dude. He is projecting, what he's projecting is a, I will not say much, uh, but there's a knowing patriarchal quality to it, very impassive. And maybe this has something to do, and I want to hear your take on this, Chris. He knows that this is a film that's going to project on a big screen, right? And he is going to be, his face is going to be 30 feet tall, so he doesn't need to do much. As opposed to where he's, you know, a a a dude on a six-inch screen. <laughs> yeah. It's 1968, Boy, whatever the fuck it is. I, uh, yeah, I, I had not thought about that the way an actor would. I mean, I think it was it was certainly much less common for actors to appear both on television and in movies at that time. I mean, Eastwood and Steve McQueen accepted, mm. you know, but I mean, it was still pretty rare. It was not a porous border between movies and television the way it is now. But you were talking about English actors here who are trained yeah. for the stage, who are trained to project to the back room, who are trained to declaim, and he is not doing that. He is not declaiming. He is, your sister, is very, he's very tight. He's very yeah. in control, such that what he's doing is projecting, I 
am in control of all this because these women are all the place. They're being big. And I'm going to be still and the centered person in this film, which means that you grant him, whether or not you want to and whether or not you should, you grant him authority. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, this is... uh... Now, Ice Station Zebra, three years before this, that was a Cinerama roadshow release. Sure. So however big screen you're you're watching this on at the Odeon Leicester Square or whatever, <laughs> it is different when you he knows he's among a landscape of other, other classically trained actors. But you know, maybe it's, it's, if you're... It's not like, who's the lead in Ice Station Zebra? Come on. That, that's Rock stiff. Hudson? Yes. Rock the Dwayne Hudson. Right, right, right. I mean, But I'm, maybe if you have seen Rock Hudson, if you've seen Ice Station Zebra in a theater and you realize, oh, I am cleaning this guy's lunch. I am taking, like, he is doing nothing because he thinks he's... Cleaning a, his lunch, yes. Yeah, that's a thing. Uh, if you are, <laughs> like, he's thinking he's going to be still and impassive because he's a movie actor and I'm going Eating to be his doing clock. more. Uh, cleaning his clock. I get so much more than maybe if I, well, I mean, no, because he's going up against Glenda fucking Jackson and Vanessa fucking uh-huh. Redgrave. I mean, there's a difference between Vanessa yeah, Redgrave and, and, and Glenda Hudson. Jackson could have been a number two. She totally could. My friend Chris would be such, she'd be such a great number two. <laughs> Vanessa Redgrave would be a very troublesome kind of number two because she wouldn't, she, she's playing. I don't think she would have been a two. I think she would have been, you know, a, Nadia. She, she would have been like. Yeah, she would have had a hat. Right. She would have been one of the, the women supposedly in distress who number six would feel compelled to protect or rescue or whatever. Yeah. And, and probably he would find out that uh, she was working for the village all along because you never trust a woman even of the feline variety. That, that's probably where, where she would have fit nice. into the village. Brother, help me. What must I do? You were always so kind to me when we were children together. Tell me what to do now, James. Mary, if you wish it, I will take you home to Scotland, and there you will rule as the rightful queen. You have no need of foreign marriages or armies. But would I be happy? Would the people of Scotland love me? Tolerate the new religion, Your Grace, and they will give you their hearts. She shall not! Uncle, I must. I cannot live out my years in exile. I must believe there is hope for a new life in Scotland. The Lords tell Mary that if she returns to Scotland and accept the new religion, which is Protestantism, then the people will love her, which confused me at first because we had just learned that her mother, uh, Mary's mother, was trying to force Catholicism down the throats of the Lords, but then I realized this is what the film's doing, right? So Elizabeth, from Elizabeth's perspective, Elizabeth's the person who's saying she's trying to force this religion down their throats, like that's how she would say it she would say yep yep she's a protestant so like there it's terrible and so yeah and these lords who are protestants would say no just embrace it and you'd be fine so mary mm. says she will travel to scotland through england and try to win elizabeth's favor win her friendship the usurper elizabeth will be my neighbor yes she will well then i will make a new beginning with her as well as my protestant subjects i will travel to scotland through england i will go to the court of elizabeth and win her friendship Never. We get a very quick cut saying, nope, bitch. Nope, absolutely not. <laughs> Mary's yeah. saying, I will, I will not do it, saying, fuck you. These quick cuts happen a lot in this film. Somebody saying, I will do this thing. And then we cut to Elizabeth going, nope, fuck no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is a costume drama. Obviously, it was an Oscar contender, but it also feels like... There was someone being like, mm, "This movie comes in at 128 minutes." But, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, they're being like, "Let's let's move on." Can along. we not? Can we cut to the chase? Yeah. But again and again, this happens, and again and again, it works. So Patty McGee uh, is reporting to Elizabeth. 
he's not loyal to his sister, uh, saying if we do not bring her to Scotland... Because, Your Majesty, if we do not bring her to Scotland, subservient to a Protestant court, she will soon arrive with a Catholic army at her back. Her uncles will see to that. If that happens, she'll soon be knocking on the back door. And what will prevent her doing that now? Are the Protestant lords of the congregation in Scotland so devoted to me? Oh, madam, I am first among them, and I am devoted to peace and order in our two lands. Once we have her safe in Edinburgh, there is no further danger. Mary Stuart will rule in name. I will rule in fact. Patrick uh, assures Elizabeth that he is devoted to Elizabeth and that if she allows him to put Mary Stuart on the throne, she will rule in name and he in fact. Yes. Uh, uh, but she agrees but says no. Nope. He will make sure that she has hunting, good eating, dancing, music. Well, we're getting to that, right. And, yeah, she, she agrees but says the affairs of state to him. Bitch, no, she can't go through my, my realm, can't go through my England. We cut to Mary as a messenger arrives with a note from Elizabeth saying essentially that she must renounce her claim to the English throne and she will not be given safe passage through England. And then her Catholic uncles tell her not to renounce, that she is the rightful heir, as we've already established several times. Uh, well, in Elizabeth is bastard and heretic. And then we sit, we get uh, tiny, tiny, tiny Ian Holm showing up as a singer from Italy, looking about as Italian as a cucumber sandwich uh, at yep. the Ritz. Like it's, this is <laughs> like, he's just, yeah. he's got it. He's got a goatee because Italians are known for that. He is actually a spy for various Catholic interests. Uh, he will be part of... Um, so she might be part of a Protestant court, but he will convey messages to and from the Catholic rulers of yeah. France and Spain and the Vatican to and from yeah. her. I have never seen Ian Holm in a role like this before. So cute, so tiny, so Yeah, young. Right. I, I mean, it made me think a, a little bit of his Polonius in the Zeffirelli Mel Gibson mm -hmm. Hamlet, which is about 20 years after this. Yep. But um, come on, I mean, you you know me. I mean, he's he's Ash, the the evil android forever and ever in in my mind. You know, so he's a little creepy. He's a so when he's a gentle little trustworthy Davy who's holding on to Mary's skirts, being like, "Save me, save me." <laughs> yep. He's still yeah. He's putting the emphasis on me, like uh, like she's gonna get confused he, about who's about to be murdered in this scene. He is still scheming. This is like like there's there's still something going on behind his eyes. So. Hmm. Patrick McGowan plots to intercept Mary's escort, Lord Bothwell's ship, uh, as they travel from France mm -hmm. to uh, to England, and take him prisoner, lest he influence Mary and take over Scotland from Patrick. Mm -hmm. uh, Bothwell, we learn from Patrick McGee, is worse than a Catholic. He's an atheist. Which, yeah. like, team atheist, woo! <laughs> do do like, you think yep. many Bothwellian spies died to... Bring him that oh, insight. Wow. Okay. Never mind. Wow. Never mind. Never wow. Mind. Wow. Let's continue. Wow. Let's just move on. I'm impressed, but I don't want to dwell on it. <laughs> so they arrive on shore and are greeted by Jamie. And can we just say here that uh, a, a character played by Pat McGowan can be named many things. He cannot be named Jamie. No. Jamie. Hey, Jamie. <laughs> no. Let's Patty talk about McGee Jamie. being Jamie would be like casting Timothy Dalton as your dandy fuckboy. <laughs> As your Timothy Chalamet, where everyone's like, look how pretty he is. Look, what does Mary say about, oh, oh, she's still a woman. She won't be able to resist Timothy Dalton. <laughs> well, we'll come to that. In absolutely, I'm telling with you, no I'm calling it. With no fucking eyebrows. In 2021, this would be Timothy Chalamet. Can we agree? Can I mean, we with agree? the cheekbones, yeah, sure. Like, they, they, have, they, they share similar cheekbones, but Timothy has, Timothy 
has actual eyebrows. Um, I mean, I'm not sure that I've ever seen Dalton play anything. And I mean, understand, Dalton is an actor who I like very much, and I've come to like him more and more as he has aged. But he is just angry. Like, he is angry all the time. Have you ever seen Lion in Winter? I think he plays something like this in Lion in Winter. Oh, yeah. Lion in Winter is three years before this, yeah, I want to yeah, say. Yeah. I think he's Philip II in that. I think it's his debut, my his date, movie debut. Yeah. I don't know. We might need to find some excuse to uh, to do Lion in Winter because, you know, fucking Nigel Stock is in it. So why not? <laughs> sure, sure. So they arrive on the shores of uh, England, Scotland, actually. And te- and he tells her, uh, Jamie tells her to lower her expectations. Nothing so fancy. <laughs> She's not going to get to ride on her white horses. Because we cannot uh, spare the expense of what? What were they going to spend money on the on the big reception parade? You like can't firing cannons. Do, you or? can't drive tanks down Independence Avenue. You fucking asshole because that's just that would be terrible uh yes mary suspects the tanks would fall through independence avenue it is it is not rated for tanks they're not rated for tanks mary suspects that jamie knows more than he's telling so i like the arc that redgrave is giving you here she was a kind of lovesick slip of a young thing in the beginning oh francois francois i must wait for my francois but here she knows what's up i like that so we cut to the white horses in question are putting on a show for Elizabeth, Robin slash Robert slash, why do they give so many, these people so many names? Uh, says he's been found innocent. We haven't dramatized any of it, but like, no, it's just me. It's, yeah. This is such Shakespearean bullshit where you're just like, yep, I've t- turns out, let me tell you what had just happened to me off screen. Um, yeah. She's like, you're back. You, you'll get the room above mine. Uh, and then he says he wants to marry her, and she rejects it out of hand. He's Elizabeth, like, how dare you? Yeah, no, no, no. That was, she doesn't. She, you know, she doesn't. Here. She doesn't. You know, sympathetically say, "Oh, well, here's why I just can't." You know, I mean, she <laughs> yep. slaps him down. Like, she totally does. Yeah, I'll, I'll fuck you, but, but how dare you? Okay, <laughs> you yep. wanna, you wanna put a ring on it? Exactly. I how have no you? bangs. Uh, uh, she puts. Uh, she thinks of uh, putting him together with Mary. Uh, Mary arrives at her palace at Holyrood. <sighs> which is yes. actually filmed at the ruins of Holyrood, and is accosted mm. by John Knox, leader of a Protestant church. One mass is more fearful than 10K. 10,000 armed soldiers. They exchange words. You, you reject the mass? You do not reject the mass? This guy is giving me big Tim the Enchanter vibe. Like, <laughs> but it's got big <laughs> rotten teeth. I wanted so much more of John Knox. I like. Yeah, it's a lot of setup here, and he's mentioned offhandedly later on. It's like, oh, he married an eleven-year-old. We should spend more time with that. Like, this is a yeah. thing we should learn yeah, more yeah. about. And especially this guy was so up up in her grill. Like, like this should be a thing, and it's not really a thing. It never becomes a thing. It's Have a you lot seen of the? The poorly received 2018 Mary Queen of Scots with Saoirse Ronan as as Mary. I haven't either. I haven't either. Does John Knox appear more? Does he? Not sure. Okay. We should look into this. We should look into this. So um, she confronts James. She wants to know what's up. He says, don't worry your pretty little head, Mary. You have humiliated me. You shall keep your religion, sister. But I suggest you are a little more discreet about it. Am I to rule here? We must have no illusions, you and I. We shared a father in James V of Scotland, and I came out on the wrong side of the blanket. It is the fate of bastard sons of kings never to be kings themselves. This I accepted long ago. I'm not ambitious for your crown. I'll resist any man that tries to take it from you. You are the queen. 
I am the queen, but you are to rule. I want you to be happy. You shall have dancing and hunting, music and good eating. But leave the troubles of state to me. He shows her a secret way up to the royal apartments, which I love. I mean, it's very clue. It's very oh, the little passage. The yeah, yeah, yeah. A secret way to the royal apartments. Follow me. Here's why you should take your meals. Yes, he lets her know how it's going to go down. Here's he tells the priest to keep out of out of the way. He says, like, here's what you're going to do. They'll be dancing and blah, blah, blah. She says, thank you, dear brother, grimacing. I want you to be happy. I persuaded your uncle, the cardinal, to permit me to bring from France all your personal belongings. I thank you. I thank you with all my heart. Here, you will dine and take your ease. There's a nice moment here for Patrick Pitchy where he, like, hears her say, dear brother, and he goes, I mean, okay. Dear sister, like, <laughs> fine. I guess this is what we're doing. Yeah. Now. Okay. Your presence chamber. Prepare yourself, and in an hour, I will bring all the lords of Scotland and present them to you. We have made a good beginning. Remember, be discreet and consult me in all things. There will be a private chapel for the practice of your religion. Stay out of the public eye, priest, and do not provoke the lords of the congregation. And Mary, you may travel if you wish. Scotland is a fine land. I thank you, dear brother. Dear sister. But when he leaves, she is seething. It's all—it's a negotiation to him. He is, is just adopting the the language of the the person he is, he is trying to persuade. Like, okay, it is fine. Cunning. Then then. Yeah. Uh, her advisors, the Jesuit priest, the singer David Riccio. Uh, tell her to appear to be happy and wait for Jamie to get careless. Did you hear him, Davy? Did you hear him? Run away and play, he tells me, as if I was a child. Davy, I'm trapped. Not yet, Your Grace. He has me in a cage. Then you must appear to sing sweetly and happily, madame. I can't do that forever. The lies stick in my throat. I hate him. He's learning to trust you. When he trusts you, he will become careless, and then you will have him in a cage. Davy, I have no army, no treasury, no allies. You have allies? Your uncles are first among them. They will solve your problems by finding you a husband. A great prince. A Catholic. With an army at his back. To deal with the good James Stewart. Let's get you married, they say. Cut to Elizabeth saying, she's not going to get married. <laughs> like, this is, again, the thing where, like... I know it was 1971, but someone is saying, we do not want this to be two VHS tapes, yep. like the Lion in Winter. We want this to be a single VHS. Yep. Marriage, then, shall be our policy. The marriage of Mary Stuart to any Catholic prince will be treated as an act of war against England. So she offers up Robert, her horsemaster, to her, but she doesn't really intend for them to, to marry because she has someone else in mind. Uh, Cecil, who is her uh, advisor, Fesho's Lord... C- Lord Cecil Bothwell. is Trevor Howard, right? Cecil is Trevor Howard. Lord Bothwell... At this uh, late stage, uh, something's going on with Trevor Howard's nose. It's yep, looking a little going on there. potatoey, like... yeah. Uh, she sends him, uh, Lord Bothwell, to marry with an offer saying, look, if you just marry Robert, the person that she's sending up to you, uh, she will, you'll be the true heir to the throne of, of England. Um, and then Bothwell will journey to Edinburgh with Henry Stuart and with Lord Darnley, who is Timothy Dalton, who is the That's foppiest fop Darnley. ever. Fop a fop. He is riding one of Mary's white horses because, of course, he is. He's got this, these blonde bangs and no... 
discernible eyebrows, which is a Patrick McGowan mm. thing. So, yeah. like, but they're so blonde that they vanish into the distance and they they look gross. Does credibly seem more into Ian Holm than he does into Vanessa Redgrave, even later on when he is dragging her into the bedchamber and saying, I have a great appetite. Exactly. And <laughs> you'll like, serve me. Yeah. Like, this is the only Timothy Dalton moment that I have not believed. <laughs> if I were in her position, would I take the cast off lover of my enemy as a husband? No, madam, you'd be full of fury. And would I, in my pride, ignore the document of the act of succession and look elsewhere for a husband to spite my enemy? No, madam, you would not. No, I would not. But she will. And supposing at this time there should come to my court a beautiful young man on a white horse, with some claim to the English throne and a Catholic to boot, would I not look upon him with favor? But with Dudley comes the future crown of England. No true monarch will turn her back on that, not even Mary of Scotland. That monarch is first a woman. You would never ignore such an offer for a pretty fellow. This woman is first a monarch. So Elizabeth and her uh, person, I don't remember his name, wager that Mary will choose the hot gay boy, not the cast-off lover of her enemy, betting that Mary is a college sophomore girl. Because that she is, she is, is a woman first, right? Yeah, Something exactly. like she is. They basically, there's an exchange about how how Elizabeth is first a monarch and second a woman, and with Mary, it's the opposite. Yep, yep, yep. We cut to Mary again. Efficiency, efficiency, efficiency. We cut to Mary frolicking <laughs> yeah. on the beach with horses with Darnley, yes. with Harry, whatever the fuck his name is. I don't Harry Henry. I don't remember. There's so many names. Uh-huh. So Mary rejects uh, the horse master, uh, Dudley, and the right of succession. Are you the horse master? Are you the horse master? Um, and he says to Elizabeth, he cons- she consorts with that boy, that lewd, mincing, pouting boy. Um, oh, you mean Timothy Dalton? I was going to say, yeah. It's like, <laughs> the yeah. guy who's 22 but like looks 38 or 43? That guy? Yeah, okay. And here's the thing, Chris. Lewd and pouting, um, fine. Mincing is the is the trigger word. Mincing is the word that we're supposed to key into. Like, oh yeah, okay. It's nineteen yeah. it's nineteen seventy one. I understand what mincing means. Like this is this is how we convey to our audience exactly what's going on here. Sure. Uh did have you seen The Last Duel? No. Okay, it's good. I'm sure you read about its uh, underwhelming box office performance, mm-hmm. but good movie, good movie. Definitely upper tier Ridley Scott, I'd say. And they give Affleck the the bottle blonde dye job and yeah, kind of similar. I mean, he plays a, a worthless fop who's just a, just an all-purpose libertine. Um, <laughs> so I think bottle blonde conveys the same thing in 2021 that, that it did 50 that's, years ago. That's good. That's progress. Um, Last Duel is a surprisingly nuanced film on the subject of consent. Affleck is very good. Okay. It. I'm not putting him down. I'm just saying it's funny that he and Dalton are styled physically in similar ways okay. in two movies made 50 years apart. Okay. Interesting to know. And also... Uh, 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 striking. striking. Read some reviews, Glenn. Okay. Read some reviews. I'm not out on a limb here. Okay, good to know. She consorts with that boy, that lewd, mincing, pouting boy. And then Elizabeth, when she realizes that um, uh, Dudley, whatever the fuck his name is, uh, has feelings for Mary, or at least acknowledges Mary's charms, attacks him. <laughs> There is some real Piggy Kermit vibes in this scene here where she's like, How dare you! Hiya! <laughs> Uh, cut to the film's other two oh, queens. Man. Why, why has there not been a been like a Muppets tutor drama? I mean, 
they're kind of the Muppets wore the roses or something. Yeah, no, I mean, we, we need to we need to get on this. So the other two queens of this film are Timothy Dalton and Ian Holm. Uh, Darnley and Ian sitting in the bed, giving one another attention. Three out of six. Uh, they are alone <laughs> together. Strangers in Paradise. Take mm-hmm, my hand. Mm-hmm. They both. It is the the, the screenplay points out takes pain yes, you know that i also have a taste for women like you they both swing both ways this is mm-hmm. i mean it's, it's striking to me they're versatile they're, they're versatile they're verse they're verses we say in this economy glenn <laughs> yep you gotta diversify and then the queen visits the bedchamber, causing the singer to hide timothy dalton in the closet there's a wacky french farce moment that she asks him will the pope approve right. of marriage to donnelly again donnelly there's dudley i don't know who the fuck i can't uh-huh. keep these names straight i think this scene specifically is why i was reminded of his polonius turn in hamlet sure, because of course. of course he gets stabbed when he's hiding in the in the curtains mm-hmm. yep. Um, yep behind the arras danley comes back and says oh um uh so she loves me and she wants to have me and then the, the film's other two queens have kind of slap fight <laughs> uh james stewart arrives and she announces that she's marrying the lewd mincing pouting boy uh-huh. and james says very simply uh, in in the pattern, I, I forbid this. I forbid this. Yeah. <laughs> He's a Catholic. Yeah. And then she turns around. Agency. I wasn't asking number six. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she turns around. She's got agency. She banishes James, though she's warned to either kill him or jail him. And then James threatens Richie at the yeah. wedding, which is just, it looks so terrible. Uh, Bothwell gives mm-hmm. the queen a jewel from his sword, which causes the lewd mincing pouty boy to fly into a rage he does a lot of flying into a rage in this film um and then he orders the really fugly older scottish lords to serve him and i didn't know where this was going chris i'll confess to that but okay I, i i i would know where it was going in the gay porn parody of this movie but all those dudes in the gay porn parody would be hot. They'd be daddies. They'd have abs. Right. They, they, they'd be a bunch of Gerard Butlers, not, yeah. a, not a bunch of Trevor Howards. <laughs> they would not be like, I invite you into my bedchamber to serve me. Like, that would not happen because these yeah. dudes were fugly. So Timothy yes. Dalton. This, by the way, is the scene where he kneels before Bond. He does kneel before says, Bond. says, I will serve you. There's pouting and mincing, and, uh, you know, he finds Mary discussing policy with the singer, with Riccio. And then uh, the next day, out on the moors or on the heath, the king throws a royal hissy, and he's taken before the Protestant lords. And then, of course, we're meant to think, oh, something horrible is going to happen to him. But, of course, because the patriarchy, I mean, Chris, literally the patriarchy, (laughs) they support him. He renounces Catholicism. He pardons James yeah. Stewart, and they back him. Elizabeth gets a copy of the contract that they've signed, which is like, we're going to kill this dude because yep. we're assholes. Right. And she's like, no, no, no. What, what, the, what? Oh, hang on. The, this, this is another one of those great, almost comical cuts. Yes, of course. Cuts to like her whole court looking up at her like it's a down-the-table shot. Mm-hmm. You know, they're all looking up at her like, what do you think? And she's like, oh, this is repellent. This is a murder bond by, when, by treasonous subjects. I want no part of this. When will I be free of the shadow of this other queen, she asks, which I have yes. asked myself uh-huh. entirely too many times. Um, <laughs> and her loving husband has put his signature and seal to it. He has. So much for marriage. The Lord James Stewart is ready to travel to Scotland. So? He must have money. To hold the Lords, he must pay the Lords. Then let him find it elsewhere. But, madam, everything that you hoped for has happened. Now we must 
support our Protestant friends. That is a murder bond drawn up by treacherous subjects against their queen. Where is my name on it? Where does it say that Elizabeth of England shall pay the wages of assassins? Your Grace, it was you who sent down to Scotland. But the rest was in God's hands. I leave this to him also. Come, Robin. She says, no, this is a murder bond of people arising against their queen. I'm not going to sign this. Uh, but then she does. Like No, she she is, wants plausible deniability. She, she says the, the currency paid must must not have her likeness on it. Which is a crazy Give them loophole. some fucking Confederate money or whatever. Yeah, uh, such give them some loophole. cryptocurrency. It will yeah. not have my head on it, which yeah. mm-hmm, <laughs> I heard that bitch. In Edinburgh, the Protestant lords uh, and the mewling, mincing, pouting boy enter <laughs> the queen's <laughs> supper room, <laughs> where she's dining with uh, Riccio and her and his yep. handmaidens. And Ian Holmes gets a, I'm going to say it's a very strange death scene here. He gets a great one. It's a great one. There's stabby, stabby, yeah. stabby. There's 57 fucking wounds. But there's somewhere he's like, eh, eh, going to run to the room. And like, ah, there's a scream. There's a super high-pitched scream. There's there's some very, like, kind of Crayola-looking looking blood. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, it, it will not make you forget his alien death scene where he's vomiting milk and no, whatever. No, and but it's like up there. A, yeah. It's up there. Um, so they tell Mary that she will be imprisoned and the muley boy will be king. Uh, she pretends to go into labor. See, again. As this film goes on, Diabolical. she gets smarter. yeah, she get more conniving. She more, gets yeah, smarter. yeah, yeah. Um, I never betrayed you, but I have wronged you. And for the many times, uh, he mules, he prances. Yeah, and I remember when she when she goes to um, Darnley after she gets all the courtiers or whatever to to go away. Like, oh, oh, Darnley, and he's like, "What has become of your pain? <laughs> like, <"What'd> you? <laughs> What's going on?" That's all. That's all any of us want to be asked. Is what, is, what, has, <laughs> what become has become of your, of your pain? pain? Uh, he. She manages to convince him because she doesn't need to convince him because it's pretty obvious that as soon as the kid is born, the lords are going to turn on him because they hate him because they're homophobic yeah. dicks. And then she sends the nurse off to get Bothwell and the horses. They escape down the stairs. Again, I'd like to think most of this was filmed on location. I don't know if it was, but like a lot of it was. Like the when they approach the castle. Yeah, there's a. I, I will put this on our IG feed. I, I did take a, a photo of the the card in the end credits about filmed on location in this castle, this castle, this castle, this castle, and Shepperton Studios. So, you know, maybe <laughs> maybe it was only the exteriors that were at the castle. I think I it was know. mostly I, the exteriors because, like, I think yeah. Hermitage Castle is really just a shell anymore. Hmm. So they go to Bothwell's castle, which is Hermitage. Uh, she goes into labor as soon as she sees Bothwell's wife, which is not subtle. Uh, and then now Scotland has a new prince. Uh, and then the news reaches yeah. Elizabeth. We can be quick cut, quick cut to Elizabeth. She collapses. We learn that he did tell her earlier that he was going to go marry for money, and she forbade him permission. Yep. And he just ignored her and was like, "Nope, I got uh, I got wiving to do." Yep. See you, Mary. Swiving and wiving. Um, then we are told in this scene as she approaches the castle that the Lord, the Protestant lords, are defeated. That's how we get. We don't see a Protestant. <laughs> we don't see a battle. No battle scene. Nope. Nope. Yeah. Nope. nope, nope. Uh, so Paddy Michi is in jail. He is preparing to be executed. Uh, he, and this is a good scene with Patrick, he, he says she can't execute him without also executing her husband, who also plotted against her, because isn't she, even she isn't about the law, which I would love to think that that was true in today's America or then, but who knows? Um, yeah, no, I, I didn't believe it there's no audience for this no no it did kind of remind me though of that that story that came out it was um 
This was very late in the George W. Bush administration, where John Ashcroft, of all people, was such a villain, such a bastard in so many ways, but he turned out to have stood on principle over this torture memo, Yep. right? Like he was on his, yeah, like someone from the Justice Department was trying to get him to sign some memo loosening up restrictions on enhanced interrogation, quote unquote. Of course, I'm mangling the details of this, but yeah, Ashcroft basically said, no, you know, I won't sign this. We're not going to not going to give you carte blanche to to torture people. Totally happening behind closed doors. It wasn't reported for years afterwards, Mm -hmm. but um, this is how it went down. And like there was this whole showdown where like there were guys from the CIA who were on their way to his hospital room to try to get him to sign this thing. And someone else from the Justice Department like sent FBI agents there to try to like ward off the CIA agents to be like, do not let them trick him into signing this thing. I mean, he's you know, he's in the hospital, he's drugged, he's not in his right mind. And anyway, this this thing about the rule of law still mattering in the corridors of power when there's no audience. Yep. Um, it, it had me thinking of that. You cannot hang me without killing your husband. I took no part in Rizzio's death. Liar. But your husband was there. He signed the murder bond with the Scottish lords. It is a forgery. It is a copy. The original is safely hidden in England. No court will condemn me without him, and even you, great queen, cannot act without due process of law. Then by God I will act with it! It will give me great pleasure to see you both on the same scaffold. But will let us do it now. Will you split the kingdom? End the Stuart line. If you accuse brave Harry, he will shout from the rooftops that your child is Rizzio's bastard and that you were Rizzio's whore and that the killing was the just execution of a commoner who had committed high treason by cuckolding the king. No! We do not need the law. She says that even she isn't above the law, which is provably false, but she agrees to kill them both. But then he points out that uh, Muley, the the poxy blonde, (laughs) no-eyebrowed dude, would just tell everyone that their son was... Rizios. So, so, makes her agree to keep them both alive. Uh, she names her new son James, which doesn't make any fucking sense mm, to me because yeah, it's her yeah. asshole brother. Uh, right. But it turns out he will be James the Sixth, and eventually, once Scotland and England are united, he will be James the First of Scotland and United. And this is how uh, he's the monarch whom uh, Shakespeare writes the Scottish play to please, right? Isn't yes. it that like he was a in big fact, believer in witchcraft and all that, and that's why Shakespeare wrote a play about witches? And, yes, he eventually and, de- he eventually debunked witchcraft because he was a right-thinking person, but there was a period of time there. He wrote a demonology, just this dude. So, yeah, oh, wow. so it was a whole thing. Um, she pardons James, so then there's this big uh, public moment, which is probably on the parapets of exactly where it actually happened, which is so freaking weird because yeah. Britain is a weird place to live. Right. Uh, but and I, I love scenes like this where the condemned or the about to be pardoned, are they're all standing you know, shoulder to shoulder next to each other, and they're like, whispering loudly <laughs> because they can because there's no there's no oh, there's I no, know, there's no I hit know. mics there's no like right you know, yeah yeah there's no hot mics oh she hates me too <laughs> yep so muley and patty and bothwell make nice publicly muley comes to her bedchamber and acts even fucking worse than he has ever had through yes this, fucking this is film. this is this is when he has a he has a great appetite even though i disgust you he will love and fondle me 
and have me by your side again as king. As I mount you, so shall I mount the throne. As I mount you, so shall I mount the throne, which I, <laughs> my t-shirt, my t-shirt right here. Like, as I mount you, so yep. shall I mount the throne. In fact, she <laughs> drugs him because how would you not? And then Bathwell yeah, yeah. informs her that he is poxed from vagabonding. And, you know, I am, oh, I've been man, married, a... I've been married 23 years, Chris. I miss, I don't miss you miss, I miss vagabonding. Poxing. I miss vagabonding. But you miss vagabonding. I, yeah. I like the yeah, risk yeah. of pox of being poxed from vagabonding is real. I'm not going to say it's real. Sure. But ah, oh God, he is poxed from vagabonding. <laughs> so uh, he lays uh, one on her. There's some passion. Uh, you know, you get poxed, you just get on your horse and ride really fast towards a cliff. <laughs> That's uh, right. Clear that I right. Must, I must run <laughs> quickly toward a river. Uh, so Muley finds a note that Mary, uh, the next day, that Muley has uh, scarpered off with Bothwell uh, and that she has forgiven the Protestant lords in exile, which means they're going to be coming back. The lords, accompanied by Jamie and Bothwell, plot to murder the king. So uh, Patrick informs them that the king plans to kill Mary at his home outside Edinburgh in Kirkofield. Kirkofield, by the way, Chris, means Church of the Field. Um... Huh. And they inform him that, yes, this man, this crazy king, has filled the cellars with gunpowder. And what I love about this, Chris, is there's some nuance allowed into this movie at this point. Because then all the people are like, that's stupid. Why would you Why wouldn't you just kill him with a gun or a knife? You could do it. And then uh, <laughs> we cut back to Patrick McGowan saying, nevertheless, he has filled his cellars with gunpowder. <laughs> which suggests to me that it was Patrick McGowan who filled Sellers were good, but I'm like, nope. Uh, this I is what we're doing. A guy told me. Yes, exactly. That, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> the cellars, they are filled. These walls are made of gunpowder. <laughs> That's right. His Majesty has a house outside the wall of Edinburgh where he took his whores and his young men. Kirkafield. He plans to murder Mary Stuart in that house. He has filled the cellars with gunpowder. He means to go there with the queen, make his excuses to leave her for a few hours, and then blow her up. <laughs> with a choice of knife, gun, poison, rope, why would anyone choose gunpowder? Nobody chooses gunpowder, Stuart, in these hard times. Nevertheless, the cellars at Kirkofield are full of gunpowder. Then he suggests that the king could bungle his attempt to kill... Could have been a gun priest for all the, gun the gunpowder in the in this church. <laughs> he he says that the uh, uh, the king could bungle his attempt and kill himself in his attempt to kill his wife. Mary says uh, she loves. Wait, isn't there isn't there this whole discussion about the cost of the gunpowder and how no one no one would waste the money that it would take? Unless you're fucking James Stewart. Yeah. Yep. Unless you're fucking Jimmy Stewart and you and you. He's got in his loan, and you're in this loan, and I thought there's and so there's puddles. But it's just wait a second here. Do you do you know what gunpowder costs? Exactly. Oh, the Mr. per Potter, murder per capita. It doesn't costs. amortize. It doesn't amortize. <laughs> just just use use a knife. Garrot that fucker. So Mary says she loves Bothwell, and they're to be murdered, and and that he will rule over her, which is the part of the movie that mm. I fucking hated because, like, you have the whole movie has been. Agency, agency, agency. You're becoming yeah. into your own person. Like, and you will be my lover. You will be my person. I will listen to whatever the fuck you say. Fuck that. So at Kirkafield, yes. 
Mary is singing uh, to the uh, mewling poxy boy in her bed. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he's he's got a mask on, which is fucking creepy. Uh, and of course, we learn because we are told that it is God's wrath to his vile nature because he likes because it's 1971 yeah. and you got to do this. You got to fucking do this because oh, fuck hell. Um, who's our who is our number two who had all the citations the uh the, the guy who had been on the, the avengers and everything of and, and was on uh, jason king that guy come on oh mm, mm. peter wingard peter wingard all-timer vagabond this could have used some uh more peter wingard in it so they blow him they blow up the uh kirk field and they strangle him yeah why waste a castle why waste the gunpowder if you were gonna have to fucking strangle him anyway. because this is real this is what actually happened kirkfield oh, actually exploded okay. well, this is chris mm. this actually he was exploded and he was found with his servant um also naked <laughs> far away and strangled yeah. because i mean because this was his vile this is god's wrath on his vile mm-hmm. nature um yeah. So in London, Elizabeth mourns the poxy prince, uh, welcoming ambassadors from France, Spain, and Scotland, even though the people from Scotland are like, yeah, yeah, whatever, fuck that. Um, we get some exposition that the Scots are uprising against Bothwell because we need to save money on battle scenes. And uh, she tells the ambassadors to leave Scotland alone, like, like let them do whatever the uh-huh. fuck they're going to do. Like, we're not going to get involved. I, I want to say, since we were talking about the penny pinching here, among this film's Oscar nominations was was John Barry's score. Yep. Not, sure. I yep. think it was. Okay, it has a repetitive um, theme, right? Super repetitive, and you know, on my someone who owns many compilations on many formats, but I have a particularly from from this this great high end reissue label from I think Germany called Speakers Corner. The the best of John Barry. And it's not all Bond. I mean, there's a side of Bond, mm-hmm. but there's a bunch of other classic scores, Born Free and Out of Africa. Born and, Free uh, was him? Of course it was. Nothing from Mary Queen of Scots, Glenn. Over and over and over again. Yep. Uh, I mean, it over does, like, with with the many Bond films, it does sort of share the, the trope that glockenspiel signals intrigue when someone's sneaking around or up to no good or that... Yep. You know, little little glockenspiel strikes, but uh, yeah, it's it's almost like they paid John Barry for ten minutes of music for this hundred twenty eight <laughs> minute film. <laughs> Just the thing. So Stuart, it's like the way John Carpenter scores his films. I, I mean, literally, since he famously writes the scores himself, he just just comes up with like one theme that he can recycle endlessly. I mean. Can't argue with efficiency. Stuart and his Protestant lords surround Bothwell's castle. They threaten him. And then Paddy McGee throws a little fire out. Like, he is more volatile. He's like, Bothwell! In a way that I don't <laughs> I don't associate with him. Bothwell, have you the courage for single combat? Or will you go on hiding in the skirts of the queen? I am not a sick man like the king you murdered. I will cut him to pieces. No, yes. I will not be to both. I will not be shamed, Mary. He challenges Bothwell, and Bothwell responds because I've been dishonored. I cannot be dishonored because masculinity, yeah. Chris, is a prison. Mm-hmm. And then what I like about this is that Mary shows some agency. She forces Bothwell to escape via secret passageway. Yeah, it's like you fucking idiot. Yeah, but, but and and yeah, in case we didn't get it, Big G actually says, "When he comes down, we'll cut his throat." <laughs> yep. It's not going to be a fair fight. Won't be a I'm lying to him. I will win because I am also a man. 
Patty says that Mary must abdicate. Uh, she refuses. He shows her the letter that she wrote to Bothwell that prove, and I don't understand if we're supposed to believe whether or not it proves or not, but like... Wait, have we already already gotten to uh, the, the scene between Elizabeth and Cecil where he's, you know, she's like, you need to bring me evidence of this plot and no forgery, no forgery. She's like, does this evidence exist? And he's like, it, well, it will. It will, because that seems to be, I think. Yeah. Um, he also tells her that he has captured Bothwell. Bothwell did not get away. Bothwell shows up and says, look, I made a deal with this dude. If you abdicate, then, um, you know, it's going to be death or exile. And then Patty escorts her, escorts her to the English border. We're going to have to dock some points for the screenplay because as she's, as she finally leaves for the English border, she's like, um, I am about 25 years of age. I have my whole life before me. Nothing bad will ever happen to me again. Free. I am free. Yeah. Hey, everything is wonderful. Turnips and roses. Like, it's just a right. crazy bullshit thing. Let's uh, go to the, the history here. It's like, I am but 25 years of age. I have the final quarter of my life before me. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly. I am, I am 25%. I have 50% yeah. done. <laughs> Unless I have children, in which case I might have another year or two. So Elizabeth and what's his name, her courtier, is, are out riding, and we learn that the Catholics of Horse England, Master. Horse Master General. Horse Master General are happy to have Mary back. They, they are rising up, and she had the gall to hold court at Carlisle. Liz and Mary have... The first of two that this film posits, secret meetings, which mm-hmm. fucking never happen, but drama, right? right? Like, we, yeah. we care about that. You know what did happen, Glenn? You know what um, you. What really did happen? The diner scene. Because Heat was in large part based on uh, the real memoirs of a, yeah. a uh, cop. Don't care. Chuck Adamson and Neil McCauley was the, the actual name of the criminal who he pursued for many years and eventually shot dead. But they did have a real face-to-face Wherein this Chicago cop, Chuck Adamson, who years later becomes Michael Mann's writing partner, tells him, look, you should you should just go be a crook in another city, because if you keep doing it here, I'm going to have to kill you or arrest you. So more authentic than Mary, Queen of Scots, is what I'm saying. Glenn. Right. So Mary wants money and an army to take back to Scotland from Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is like, uh, what about the mewling, mincing, pouty, poxy kin that you murdered, who is dead now? And... <laughs> She says, if you can put yourself on trial and prove that you, your innocence, then you can have your army. And then Mary's like, how dare you? And then Elizabeth is like, how dare you? And so even with, though we just spent some time talking about how masculinity is a prison, turns out femininity is, is also a prison oh, because it's yes. just these two women going slap, 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 slap. How dare you? How dare you? I demand my apology, which is very Real Housewives. I'm also the one who sent Mincing Poxy Boy to you. Uh, in the first place, knowing <laughs> you, you seem ungrateful, him. right? Yeah. And then Mary gets imprisoned in what we have to say are some pretty sweet digs. Like, if you're going to be imprisoned, uh, minimum security. I mean, my God, it's it's a pleasure palace. It's white collar financial crimes during a Republican administration. Yes. No. She is informed that uh, Lord Bothwell has died insane in a Danish prison. <laughs> insane in a Danish <laughs> prison. Like, yep. Uh, but. 
he can we can take comfort in the fact that I'm sure it was well designed. It probably had some good lines. It's probably mostly white, like a very clean white line. <laughs> but um, yeah, why why is uh, Darnley the only person who gets to actually act out the effect of his illness? Yeah, like why does why does everyone else just get reported on off screen? <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, but I'm sure maybe Nigel Davenport just did not uh, feel <laughs> like uh, showing us the syphilitic degeneration. Of Horsemaster. I would love to see the prison that has like a single pair on a white shelf. Um, <laughs> they take her to Fotheringay Castle. This castle, Fotheringay, looks pretty sweet. Elizabeth says mm-hmm. if she begs forgiveness. There was uh, the Fotheringay, wasn't that the Colonel's right hand man in um, Chimes of Big Ben? Yep. Uh, no, was. not Chimes of Big Ben. Many happy returns. Many happy returns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's the one who doesn't believe. Six's story. But Fotheringay, like knowing now that Fotheringay was known to British folks as a infamous prison and a yeah. place where folks were chopped. Patrick Cargill, right? Wasn't Patrick Cargill Fotheringay? Oh. And then he shows up as number two in... Um... No, Fotheringay. I think he was like some British, like, anyway, I don't know. But Cargill was, yeah, we do meet Cargill first in England, and then he shows up as number two later. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, I thought he was fathering gay. Maybe not. So we get one last meet. Not a meet cute. <laughs> we get less one meet between the two of them. Yeah. This is the heat moment. This is definitely the one where Elizabeth says she's been in danger from Mary's people ever since she imprisoned her. Like, these are people who want to kill her. And Elizabeth is waiting for her apology. This is... I have this recurring dream. This is, Sorry. this is the Real Housewives of it. This is like, this is classic. This is, I am just waiting. Apologize to me. Apologize to me. I want to spare you, but you must beg my forgiveness. You must write it now while I am here, then I will forbid the trial. Yes. I knew of the plans for your death. I was glad of them. now in this room as I look at you face to face it is another matter I am glad you have been spared I would be happy to ask your forgiveness here between these four walls that is not enough write it no Mary says no I will die a noble martyr Elizabeth says well not so noble because we're going to read out the letters you wrote to Bothwell um, yeah, all those fucking split infinitives and uh, your right. your hacky adjectives and, uh, right. and, and like, yeah, you, those run on sentences. Uh, you are going to be very embarrassed. All those, all those letters where you talked about like um, moistness. I mean, come on, gross. gross. Nobody, no one knows that. So just write me an apology, and this will all be over. She is so a real housewife. And Mary says, "I've made my peace with God. Go nuts. No nope, bitch. Nope, no, done. you cannot tempt me. You are the devil. I will not succumb to you." I sinned most grievously. I lost my faith. I will deny nothing to you here in this room, madame, for I have repented of it all. I have made my peace with God. I begged him that I might atone for all that has gone before. And he has brought me here to die in glory. I was greatly punished. My kingdom, my possessions, my child, my husband were all taken from me. I've been shut away for many years in abject misery. And now I must die. It is my destiny. And it is your destiny, Elizabeth, to kill me. And then she gets her head chopped. And not before she gets what we in the drag race community call a reveal. Because she walks down with a black robe, 
Uh, and it seems very penitent and very somber. And then she lets it go, and there's a flaming red gown underneath those robes. And it's like, bitch, <laughs> go off. Like, yes, yes, okay. work. I was going to say this scene felt a little anticlimactic to me. Are but, you kidding? Uh, me? Obviously, I don't have the uh, the context that you do for it as a self-declared member of the drag queen community. By Are which you I guess fucking you mean, kidding you know, me? Observer, commentator, critic. Uh, if onlooker. anything, it's too no. obvious a reveal. It's too, like, punishing, like, literal reveal. But, like, yes, because there's going to be some blood and she's wearing a red dress. Like, no, I would, I would rethink that. You need to talk to your people. Yeah. You need to go back and talk to your people yeah. about how punishingly literal that is. But, bitch... If that's you, just wait till you see what a meal it is before uh, old <laughs> Mel Gibson, William Wallace gets his head chopped off at the end of Braveheart, Glenn. It I... takes a lot longer than it does in Mary Queen of Scots. I don't care to know. So we learn that Elizabeth rules for another 16 years, unmarried and childless, which is, sounds like the, like it's a it's an indictment. Aww. to like, <laughs> it's like, and right. I'm like, oh, yeah, right. Yeah, great. Woo. Cut to Frances McDormand explaining that she chooses to remain unmarried and childless because those are the two greatest impediments to writing. Okay, there you go. Um, so tell me your rating. I'm curious about your rating, Chris. Uh, give this a solid four. See, this is not yeah. interesting to me because this is exactly what I was going to give it. I was going to give it to James the Fourth. Um, that's exactly what I was going to handle it because I, yeah, I, 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 I was expecting to not like it much and be bored by it, but there is a through line here there is a connective tissue and it is not you don't have to do that thing where you have to do with shakespeare plays we have to kind of like deconstruct okay so what is actually being said <laughs> what is it yeah. before i can understand the motivations of these characters so before i go to see shakespeare any shakespeare mm-hmm. i take my thick spined bevington edition shakespeare off of the shelf that I've had since I took uh, Ralph Cohen's to so took his tragedies class and his comedies class, and I read the introduction to that play where Bevington, you know, provides all the cultural context and the history and the sources and the, you know, and it's like four or five thousand words mm-hmm. of background on this. And then um, if you're going to the the Shakespeare Theater here in D.C., you get the plot synopsis <laughs> in, inside the program. Yes, it is helpful because then you don't have to worry about it when you're actually watching the play. Then you can enjoy the language, enjoy the performances, enjoy the like you glance down at the scene change. Be like, OK, what just happened? Mm-hmm. All right. Got it. Got it. <laughs> no. What's your rating? Uh, I'm going to give it a four, too. Of course, James the Fourth. I don't know if that's actually yeah, a person. I mean, it was, uh, yeah, I, I, I thought it would be boring. I thought it was and, boring, too. Uh, I thought it would be really, like, <laughs> it'd be a stultifying thing. I, I really liked Glenda Jackson's performance. I liked that uh, Vanessa Redgrave gave us some arc to go with, because at the beginning I thought she was just going to be this really simpering, boring uh, person. I like that she gets some juice. I like that she gets some traction and i can't remember what else i have seen young vanessa redgrave in i mean most of the performances that i i remember are okay let's be honest what i mostly remember is mission impossible which is 25 years after this yeah. so obviously she's she she plays have Max you seen camelot it's a terrible it's, she's, a ter- uh, it's not a great it's not a great play it's not I, a great I musical i haven't but she has some good songs in it this this 128-minute film takes place over the course of how many years? It's a number of years. I didn't figure it it's out. It's a lot. I'll say Vanessa Redgrave, though, who is... Um, I'm just going to look uh, up how old she actually is as they're they're shooting this movie. But, I mean, she's 
early 30s, maybe? if Maybe younger than that? I mean, she's playing somebody who's in her teens. Like, the person who married uh, Francois was in her teens. Born 1937. Okay, so she is 34 years old. They're they're shooting Mm -hmm. this film. And uh, she, you know, without age makeup or anything like that, she believably conveyed younger and older. Mm -hmm. You know, and and in those later scenes, I was like, wow, it's not like they, they, I can't see anything that they did to her appearance to age her up, but she just, yeah, she seems wearier. She seems heavier. Mm-hmm. She seems uh, it's like, wow, acting. But uh, Glenda Jackson <laughs> yeah. has had, um, I don't know if it's a wig, a, a, a bald cap, or if she's actually, sh- they shaved her hairline back, but like, oof, no, no, that's not a, it's not a good look for anybody. Well. You know, again, Glenda, the the most talented member of the Jackson Five head. I mean, there are people who will make the case for for Jermaine or uh, Tito or, or whoever, but uh, I I think it's all I think it's all Glenda. Mm-hmm. Glenda. Yep. Her and Stonewall were really the two standout <laughs> Jacksons. What are we doing next? Are we gonna Are we gonna watch Silver Streak? I we think we, we probably should watch Silver or... Streak because I think again okay. I hmm. wanted him to have more of a presence in this film, like the idea that we're doing this. Oh, right. No, we do need to talk about, right, we do need to evaluate the quantity and quality of Magoo. And I, I think we get about the minimum acceptable quantity. He is. This, but the quality is very is good. He is stoic. The, what we get is very good, but we don't get enough. We don't get third he's billing in this enough. more than he's in Escape from Alcatraz. Mm, that's certainly true, but that's that's a low bar, dude. Like Less than he's in Scanners. Less than he's in Scanners, yes. Is that true? Yeah, and he doesn't true. he doesn't have the voiceover inner monologue that he has he in, have the death in scene. scanners. Yeah, a ripe, ripe program. Ripe, <laughs> ripe indeed. Ripe indeed. The ripe program a, must be stopped. It's an amazing death scene. Um Why are you yelling to yourself? Yep, like yep. he he goes into a yell in his inner monologue. Yep. <laughs> probably the booze is probably the answer there, but who knows? Ripe. Who of us can say? Ripe indeed. Um, yeah, I would totally do uh, uh, the next one. What's the next one? Would you, would you suggest? Silver Street. Street. I love that movie when I was a yeah. kid. Never seen it. Oh, my God. It's probably going to be racially troubling. How many movies did uh, 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 Richard Pryor and, and Wilder make together? They Sir Crazy, movies together, uh, Silver right? Streak, Sir so. Crazy, Silver Streak, and um, uh, Blazing Saddles. I think there were just the three. But yeah. And oh, I don't think, okay. I think. Richard Pryor is in is not in Silver Streak as much as one thinks one is, but I think Patrick McGowan mm. is in it a great deal. So we okay. should do it next. Yes, maybe Silver Streak became a Patrick McGowan vehicle the way Superman Three became a Richard Pryor vehicle. Mm. Oh, we have a suggestion from uh, Lost in Transition is uh, our Twitter handle of this guy. Would it be possible to review the number twos per episode of The Prisoner, work out the most deceitful and most despicable, the most monstrous and and maleficent, the most benign and belligerent, the most Mrs. Butterworth and the most Mrs. Butterworth-less? Does this sound like a possibility? I think it sounds Totally does. That should be our next episode. I would love to do that for our next episode. Let's do that. Yeah? More exciting than Silver Streak. Yes. Rating the number twos. Then we'll go to Silver Streak. We, we We have to get on to... Braveheart, because I'm Ugh. just going to revel in watching you watch Braveheart. Ugh. And then looking forward to A Time to Kill, because our friend Linda Holmes will be coming back. Although I have a feeling that McGowan is in that very little. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's pretty much 
Fred Gwynn and my cousin Vinny. He's probably like, oh, mom, the two Utes. Uh, like he's probably has okay, Batman. but no one, no one forgets Fred Gwynn mm. and my cousin mm. Vinny. I, I saw that like half of that movie on cable like last year, and that was the first time I'd seen it since it was in the theater in '92. Mm-hmm. I want to say, and what I remembered about it was basically the the two Utes. Then what is a Ute? Mm-hmm. So uh, all all praise to Fred Gwynn. Mm-hmm. Were there any? Bits of dialogue from the French Dispatch that I, I meant to <laughs> say that I uh, got most of them, got the vast majority. So you wrote them down. Good for you. Because uh, I love it, but I will see it again to to do. Yeah, that. Glenn. Uh, no, I, I did write them down because um, it evaporates. I'm not a hero. I just wasn't in the mood to be a disappointment to everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, I let my mom teach me typing, but I didn't let her teach me shorthand, Glenn, which <laughs> would have been especially useful. And I and I bet there's no place you can go in 2021 to learn shorthand my notation. My mom was his secretary, and she knew she knew shorthand, and she kept her diary in shorthand. And I was like, Wow, this is Elvish. My mom knows Elvish. I love that my mom has this secret language. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have her diaries that um, you know she left. So someday I will decipher them all. I am moved as I think about you doing that. So let me just move this right along, Glenn. This is this is a question just for you. What is the name of the written language that we see in Dune? That's a very good question. I have no fucking idea. Okay, we we definitely see some some documents mm-hmm. in the Villeneuve Dune. The uh, characters were were unrecognizable mm-hmm. to me. Maybe maybe they were shorthand. Okay, so next we're going to rate the number twos. Yep. Then we're going to get on to Silver Streak, yep. and then we'll uh, we'll make a plan. We'll get back on our our schedule, even if it's not weekly. It'll be a predictable interval. We've been a little a little scattershot of late because obviously we've been going to movies. I'm very very excited to to go see movies again. All right, so next we'll be rating the number two. So listeners, prepare your own lists. Yes, please do. And, and send them so let's to banter, us. Let's banter. Let's debate. Via, how can I send them to us? Tweet us at not a number pod. You can email us at a degree absolute at gmail.com. Yes. And until uh, then, be seeing you. Be seeing you. All right. Good stuff. Mary Quianascotzi. That same over. That same theme. Bruce Springsteen. Columbia Pop Audition, job number 79682. Mary, Queen of Arkansas, take one. Absolute was conceived by Glenn Weldon and is produced by me, Chris Klemick. I wrote our silly little theme song, which was then arranged and beautifully performed by my dear friend Casey Aaron Clark on vocals and keyboards and her brother Jonathan Clark on guitar and percussion with Marcus Newstead on bass. Find out more about Casey at CaseyAaronClark.com and or VitalVoiceTraining.com. 
tweet us at not a number pod email the citizens advice bureau at a degree absolute at gmail.com what else do i need to tell you a degree absolute is our instagram handle Mary, my queen, Boxing. I miss vagabonding. I, I like the risk of pox of being poxed from vagabonding is real. I'm not going to say it's real. Sure. But, ah, oh God. He is poxed from vagabonding. <laughs>